And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well, it was a long night. I'm usually in bed by 6.30, 6.45. Makes it easier to get up at 3. Now, as I got older, I go to bed pretty early. But last night, I knew I had to stay up late, late because... I'd spent the $12 to watch the 4A state championship game, and my wife had spent the 100 to get the NFR all week. Man going to spend $112, he better stay up and at least watch something. And I'll be honest with you, I thought I would preach a message on just change your attitude. And if... You was here when I preached a message. I only watched Wagner Bulldogs play one game this last year. They got beat. I preached a message about a 1, a 12, a 1, 2, and a 12, didn't I? And in that sermon, I called Trenton after the one game I watched and said, How'd that locker room go? And if you remember in that sermon, that coach said, we got the talent to win. He's a good coach. He's won six out of eight, meaning we got the game plan. But if you remember in that locker room after that loss, he said, we just don't have the attitudes to win. It was either the week after or the week after that particular game that Wagner traveled down to Cushing. I got a good friend lives in that area by the name of Marty Brock. He drove by that football game and just happened to call me and tell me what the score was. Because Wagner got beat by Cushing 42 to nothing. And I thought, well, the attitudes hadn't changed. And I thought for sure I would preach on change your attitude because wouldn't you know it, Wagner got a rematch with the team that beat them 42 to nothing. They got a rematch, and you know where they got a rematch? The state championship game. So I called Trenton yesterday and said, what's the game plan? I love digging in and listening to stuff like this. Trenton told me the game plan was for them to just move the ball slow and easily, keep their offense on the team, and keep the high-powered offense of Cushing, who the lowest they've been held all year was 32, keep their high-powered offense off the field. I believe I heard right last night after the game when they said the time of possession, Wagner 30. Almost 32 minutes. I think a college football, a high school football game is 36 minutes, isn't it? Time of possession, 30 minutes to Wagner, leaving only six. That's a game plan executed, folks. And Wagner, evidently having the talent and the good coach and the game plan executed, I, I, it seems like they may have got the attitude changed. Because they beat a team last night in a state tournament that had previously beat them 42 to nothing. They beat them 24 to 21. 
So I just knew when that game was over that I would come preaching saying, we got the talent. We got the game plan. And if we're getting beat, it's simply because of a bad attitude. And then when we decide to change the attitudes, we might have us a championship around here. Now, if that would have happened and that was all of that, wouldn't you have been sure? And I sent Fam Bam, Wagner 24, Cushing 21. And I'm a little bit partial to their strength and conditioning coach. And so the text on there I put is they never could have done it if they wasn't strengthened and conditioned. Boy, I just knew that would be a good sermon because we're never going to do it if we're not strengthened in the Word and Conditioned in the Word. And I believe that would have made a pretty good sermon. I believe it'd preach. And some of you that's getting drug up and down the field, getting beat by the devil and the demons of hell, 42 to nothing, i just going to preach to you, God can turn it around. He can turn it around. I think there's a song something like that, isn't there? And I just knew that would be the sermon I preached after watching that game. But then all of a sudden there become this little tune in my head. And when that tune got in my head, I, I done what I always do when a tune gets in my head because I don't know the tune. I always go talk to Miss Siri. And here's what I read. Here's the tune that was in my head. Are you ready? There will never be a sweeter story. A story of the Savior's love divine. Love that brought Him from the realms of glory just to save a sinful soul like mine. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful, wonderful it is to me? I continued to read, boundless as the universe around me, reaching to the farthest soul away. Saving, keeping love it was that found me. That is why my heart can truly say, Isn't the love of Jesus wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Isn't the love of Jesus wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. But I continued to read, Love beyond our human comprehending. Love of God in Christ, how can it be? This will be my theme never ending, great redeeming love of Calvary. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't the love of Jesus wonderful, wonderful it is to me? And I thought somebody ought to write that down. And then it put another tune in my head, Harold. So I asked Siri about that one. And here's what I read. Baby, write this down. Take a little note to remind you in case you didn't know. Tell yourself I love you and I don't want you to go Write this down. If you hadn't figured it out, that's George Strait. 
But I continued to read. Take my words. Read them every day. Keep them close by. Don't let it fade away. I continue to read. I'll sign it at the bottom of the page. I'll swear under oath. Because every single word, hello, is true. And I think you need to know. I think this ought to be bookmarked. But he said, save it as a bookmark. Stick it on your refrigerator door. Hang it in a picture frame above the mantel where you'll read it for sure. So when I got to thinking about the love of Jesus and how wonderful it was, I thought somebody ought to write it down. I thought somebody ought to take a little note. I think somebody ought to keep this close by and not let the words fade away. Because every word is true. So I'm not changing on, I'm not preaching on changing your attitude. I'm preaching on the love of Jesus. And if you need a title for it, write this down. Take a little note about the wonderful love of Jesus. Write this down. Take a little note about the wonderful love of Jesus. If you're ready for me to preach it, say I am. You pray for me as I do because I preached it at 8 o'clock. I made my way off the left side of the stage. And let me ask if you husbands can relate. When I took my seat beside my beautiful bride, Miss Donna, I got an elbow, a left elbow, and she's left-handed to my right ribs. That's what I got after I preached this message. Any of you husbands, can you... Yes, sir, can we get a witness? I just preached my heart out. Wham! And I looked over at me and she said, You better calm down. You've got three more services to go and you're going to lose your voice. I looked at her and I said, Can you calm down about the love of Jesus? Isn't it wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? And then I get up and you think you ladies don't rub off on one another. I make my way back out to the foyer to get me a drink because I can't talk at that time. And my daughter-in-law, and you know which one it was because the other one's here. She wasn't there. She looks at me and she said, she's, she's making her some coffee. She said, you got a backup plan for prior? I looked at her and I said, no, do I need to? She said, you better have because if you don't calm down, you're not going to have no voice. Where do you ladies stick together so much? So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to calm down. And I'm going to preach this sermon so I'll have some voice left to preach again tonight. Amen? Write this down. Take a little note. Because tucked away in the Bible about the wonderful love of Jesus, it tells us He is the sent one. Now, if you look at verse 1 of the song, it says, There will never be a sweeter story. A story of the Savior's love divine. Love brought Him from the realms of glory just to save a sinful soul like mine. I believe Miss Addie just sang, He left His home in heaven 
so that he could make heaven my home. See, he was the sent one. And it was prophesied by the prince of the prophets, Mr. Isaiah, when he said in chapter 7 and verse 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God be with us. Look up here. we got a whole bunch of people that claim to be modern day prophets, and they give us prophecy, but the problem with the prophecy that they give us, it never comes to pass. And listen to me, but there's prophecy tucked away in the Bible, and when there's prophecy in the Bible, you can write this down as Adrian Rogers says, big, plain, and straight, when it's prophesied by the Word of God, when it's prophesied by the Son of God, when it's prophesied, it's going to come to pass. So it was prophesied He was the sent one. And then it happened, and I love Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, because it says, when the fullness of time had come, listen to this, God sent forth His Son. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. Why? That He might redeem those who were under the law. Let me stop, time out, and tell every one of you something. You was born under the law, therefore you was, need, you was in need of redemption. Do you have that? So when the fullness of time had come forth, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those under the law, that we, are you listening, say I am, might receive the adoption of, as sons. Write it down, take a little note. The wonderful love of Jesus, this note tells us He is the sent one. Listen to 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God, here it is again, sent. God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Isn't the love of God something wonderful? In the love of Jesus, something wonderful. Listen to this. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. There it is again. Sent His Son that He might become a propitiation for our sins. So what you need to understand is the wonderful love of Jesus. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. The wonderful love of Jesus, wonderful, wonderful it is to me. And the love letter that He left us, write it down, take a little note, tells us that Jesus is the sent one. That's what Christmas is all about. About when God sent us the greatest gift ever given, when He wrapped His Son in human flesh and sent Him to planet earth. I heard the story yesterday about a woman who was in the shopping mall. Her son was excited to look around and run around. She was paying out, and she heard her son and the anxiety in his voice when he began to holler, Where's the baby? Where's the baby? Where's the baby? 
it got her attention and she run to his anxiety and that voice. And it not only got her attention, but the security and store owners in the mall had surrounded him, but it never changed him. He was still hollering out, where's the baby? Where's the baby? There's the gifts. There's the decoration. There's Joseph. And there's Mary. And there's the wise man. And there's the animals. But he pointed and the baby was gone. He said, where's the baby? Where's the baby? Where's the baby? And I'm here to preach to you the first Sunday in December isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful 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 isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful wonderful it is to me because God sent the baby and that's what Christmas is all about amen this letter tells me he's the sent one but write this down take a little note about the wonderful love of Jesus Because this note He left us tells us He's the sacrificed one. Listen to verse 3. We'll get back to verse 2. But listen to verse 3 of this hymn. Love beyond our human comprehending. Can you comprehend the love of God, Dave? There are certain subjects I can preach on. And all I can do is preach on them because I can't comprehend them. And let me tell you what one of those subjects is. It's the love of God. Love beyond our human comprehending. Love of God in Christ. How can it be? This will be my theme and never ending. Great redeeming love of Calvary. Isn't the love of Jesus wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Isn't the love of Jesus wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. Because He's not just the sent one. He's the sacrificed one. It was the same prophet, folks, that prophesied as him being not only the sent one, the sacrificed one. Isaiah chapter 53, listen. He is despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When I read that early this morning, you know what I knew? You knew what I, do you know who I knew I would stand in front of today? People that have sorrows and griefs. And you know what I knew today? I can't relate. But you know what I knew when I read that? Thank God there's going to be somebody at church. It's not going to be the pastor. It's going to be the master. Because I'm going to stand in front of people that's got sorrow and they've got grief. And I'm going to tell you, the Jesus that loves you is here and He can relate. He knows your sorrows and He's acquainted with your grief. I'm not, but He is and He's in the house today. And look, and what did we do with a guy like that? And we hid. As it were, our faces from him. Keep a hold of that for the next point. And we hid. As it were, our faces from him. But now listen, and see how many times that word we, us, or our shows up in these next verses. Are you ready for him? He was despised. And we did not esteem Him. Surely He has borne, here it is, number one, our griefs and carried, here it is, our sorrows. Yet we esteem, there's we, we esteem Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but He was wounded for our 
transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. And all of we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, that's number nine, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, here it is, us all. See, that should have been our cross. We should have been the ones that was sacrificed and died there. But He is the sent one. But the love letter tells us He's also the sacrificed one. That love is beyond human comprehending. And I love how Romans 5, 6 puts it. For when we were still without strength, listen to this, in due time Christ died for thee. Let me stop before I give you that next word. Maybe we comprehend it just a little bit if that word there was godly. When we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the godly. Maybe if we was godly, just maybe we could comprehend it a little bit. If it said when we was without due strength, and, and when we was without strength in due time, Christ died for the righteous. Maybe we could comprehend it just a little bit. But look here. It doesn't say He died for the godly. It doesn't say He died for the righteous. It says when we were out without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly unrighteous, ungodly, nothing to offer Him, and that's who He died for. That's what makes it completely uncomprehendable. Doesn't it? And then the Bible says, for scarcely... I mean, it's like the Bible, say, the Bible saying, think about this. Think about this note. Write this down. Take a little note. Think about this. Because the next verse, it says, for scarcely for a righteous man would die. I mean, if we would have been righteous, it's kind of a scarce thing that somebody would die for us. And it says, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even die. But then the verse we all know well, it's verse 8 of Romans 5, but God. The reason we can't comprehend it, but God. God done this. He demonstrated His own love toward us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Many of you have heard me use that modern day parable. And it was kind of like this when I got saved 20-something years ago. This is how I pictured it. Just a parable. This is how I pictured it. See, one Tuesday morning, when I still had my old father, the devil, he had me in an asylum. He had me in an institute. That's what the devil does to us. And one day, God walked in that institute. And He told my father then, the devil, I'm here. I'm looking for someone. I'm wanting a boy to call my own, one of yours. The devil had us all lined up along the wall. And we're all lined up there. And as if God began to walk up and down, and all of a sudden he met eyes with this old cowboy. 
Man, I could hardly look at him, but there was a smile on his face as he looked at me. And then he turned around to my then the father devil and he said, that's the one I want. I looked to my right and I looked to my left and I said, he just picked me. And I don't know why. And the one on my right and the one on my left, I'm sure they would have said, me neither. But when he said to the devil, my father then, that's the one I want, Rob Pierce, he's the one I want. I remember the devil maybe said something like this, hey, you're God and all, but you don't want him. He's full of envy. He's full of hate. He's full of everything. He's full of lies. You don't want Him. And I can remember thinking, man, He knows me now. He don't want me. But I can remember Him looking at the devil and saying, I know what He's full of. And I still want Him. And I could hardly believe it. That He knew what I was full of and He still wanted me. And as this, my father then, the devil said, well, he's going to be a costly one. And God would look at him and say, what's he going to cost me? And the devil said, I'll tell you what he's going to cost you. He's going to cost you your son. He can be your son if you'll give me your son. I'll give up Rob if you'll give up yours. And man, I was just can remember maybe standing there and thinking there's no way this trade's going to go through. No hope to get out of this, this institute. But then I was surprised when God said, tell you what, I'm going to make the trade. And then as if the devil said, well, wait a minute, God, before you're so quick to make that trade, your son for old Rob Pierce, let me tell you what we're going to do to your son before you make the trade. We're going to take your son... We're going to pluck pieces of his beard out. We're going to rip and tear his clothes off. And then I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take him downtown and I'm going to stand his hands and I'm going to tie him to a whooping post where his toes will barely touch the ground. And let me tell you what I'm going to do to your son. If you really want to trade for Rob, i got some big old barrel-chested men. They're going to have a weapon. It's called the cat of nine tails. And they're going to begin to whip and beat your son. And if one more one more whoop, one more lash, it would be his death. In other words, God, they're going to take your son and they're going to beat him just short of his death. He's going to be unrecognizable. Now hang on, God. If you really want to trade for Rob, let me tell you what's going to happen then. I know he's your son and I know he's strong, but he's going to be beaten so severely that he can't pack the cross up Golgotha's hill. So I'm going to get him some help, God. And with the help of another, he's going to pack that cross up Golgotha's hill. And let me me tell you, God, you really want Rob? Because when he gets it up there, they're going to nail his hands and his feet to that cross. They're going to press down a crown of thorn up upon his brow and he's going to hang there unrecognizable, naked, beaten just an inch of his life in front of that busy thoroughfare for the whole world to see. And then he's going to die. God... You still want to rob? And can you imagine me thinking, there ain't no way. And God looks the devil in the eye and says, Yes, sir. I'm going to trade. It's beyond human comprehending that God would trade His Son 
knowing what they was going to do to him for my soul to get me out of the institute of my father, my old father, the devil. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Isn't the love of Jesus wonderful? I don't know about you, but wonderful it is to me because my God sent His Son to be sacrificed to trade for me. But then, somebody ought to write this down. Somebody ought to take a little note because in this book, it talks about the wonderful love of Jesus. And He's the seeking one. He's the seeking one. Now go back to verse 2 of that song. Boundless as the universe around me. Reaching the farthest soul away. Listen to this. Saving, keeping love it was that found me. Let me remind you what I remind you often. You wasn't looking for Jesus. Let me remind you what Isaiah said. We hid, as it were, our faces from Him. You got that? You wasn't only not finding Him. You wasn't only not seeking Him. You was hiding from Him. Saving, keeping love, it was that found me. That is why my heart can truly say, isn't the love of Jesus wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't the love of Jesus wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. Because He wasn't only the sent one. He wasn't only the sacrificed one. He's the seeking one. You guys remember me telling you a story about what they do at the coffee shops around these little small towns, don't you? They gather around, try to remember somebody's name, and try to answer all the questions of the world. So it was years ago that the Prince of Wales come to the United States, and they gathered at the coffee shop, and they began to discuss why the Prince of Wales had come to the United States. One guy knew the answer, like there always is one of those. He said, well, he come here for vacation. The rest of them argued, come on, anywhere in the world, and you come to America for vacation, that ain't why he come. Number two guy says, I'll tell you why he come. He's got family here. Another said, he ain't got no family here, you goofball. Let me tell you why he came. He came for political reasons, goofy. He didn't come for vacation. He didn't come for family. He come for political reasons. And as far as I know, they never did figure out the coffee shop why the Prince of Wales come. But when I read that little letter, what Jesus jotted down, I do know why the Prince of Peace come. Not the Prince of Wales. I know why the Prince of Peace come. He come to seek and to save that which was lost. He wrote that down in the letter, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Now watch this. In Luke chapter 15, I love how he talks to us men. He wants to let us know how much he seeks us. Are you ready? Remember the parable of the lost sheep? To me, that just makes more sense to the men because men understand when we've got livestock, and it don't matter if we've got 100, it don't matter if we've got 500, guess what? We pull in and one's missing. We're really not concerned about all of them that we see. I believe he was speaking to the men about this subject of seeking because he knew men, when you're missing some of your livestock, you leave it and you go seek that which was lost, right? But then I believe when it comes to the parable of the lost silver, he was talking to the women. Any of you husbands ever had your wife... Turn your house upside down looking for something. 
I mean, if they lose something, they will tear the house upside down. I'm thinking, man, let's just get a different one. But you know, that lady swept that house. She kept seeking. And I just believe God was saying, I'm going to talk to you men because I want you men to understand what, how I seek. I want you ladies to understand how I seek something that's lost. And then he spoke to all of us kids included. The son was lost. Huh? You ever thought about that in Luke 15? He's just trying to get us, trying to get us through. Hey, he's the seeking one. Everybody staying with me? And I ask this because I never know where our kids today, what games they're playing and what they're doing. So early service, I walked right over in front of old side day, old Dave. And I said, you kids still play this game? He said, what game is it, preacher? I said, hide and seek. He said, we sure do. It's good to know that the kids today still play some of the games that we played when we as kids, don't we? I don't think that was invented when Georgia was a kid or not. I don't think it. No, I'm just joking. Man, hide-and-seek's been around a long time, hasn't it? And one time I was playing hide-and-seek with a bunch of us. And a bunch of us hiders, only one seeker. Is that how you guys play? And all of us hiders, we thought we'd really done good because the seeker wasn't finding us. 30 minutes, hour. All of us hiders begin to look out and look around. Where's the seeker? Problem was, the seeker went in, got to watching something on TV, and got sidetracked. <laughs> All of us was hiding, but we didn't have no seeker. It wasn't a game. It's real life. You and I are the hiders. 2,000 years, I want you to listen to me. He's never got sidetracked. Chew on that one. 2,000 years, he's the seeker. We're the hiders. He's never gotten sidetracked. I don't know about you, but if I was him, the seeker, and I looked at the shape of this world today, I'd get sidetracked. He didn't. Aren't you glad he's God and I'm not? And I'm glad he's God and you're not. That goes both ways. You say, sure, you bet. Yeah. So Friday night, Jesse Stipes called me. Oh, Jess, don't, some of you people don't call me. Thank you. But there are certain people when you do call me, I know there's something up. And Jesse's words was like this Friday night. What are you doing tomorrow? And I could tell you all kinds of things I needed to be done, but you kind of asked Jesse, what do I need to be doing tomorrow? And it's then that Jesse told me about a mutual friend and that of Tars Foreman who had been diagnosed back in April with cancer. And he had just gotten some bad news Friday afternoon that what they was going to do, a procedure, it wasn't going to work. And a, a friend of Tars had called Jesse Stipes and asked that he and I might go visit Tars because he wasn't sure where he was with Jesus. And so I just told Jesse to text me, call me, I got a text about 9.30. I'll be at Hillcrest at 11.15. So I finished up what I was doing and I headed to Hillcrest. I walked in the hospital. I went up to the 10th floor and when I got off the elevator, there stood Jesse. We walked down the hallway to room number 611. And when we walked in, we walked into a brother 
a sister. I hope I don't miss nobody, Jesse. A wife. And John and his wife, two good friends, and a mama. Is everybody with me? Now, I know what we're there for. And you heard me say this a few weeks ago when the Lord sent me to my uncle's house. Used to, I would be hoping and praying that if I'm going to see somebody, I hope they're the only ones in the room. But here's what I'm telling you. If I'm going to throw a stone and I can get a bunch of people with it, I'd just soon the room be full. So when we walked in there, I wasn't intimidated by the fact that that big crowd was there. I was excited for the fact that I'm going to get to share Jesus and there's going to be a room full of people. And so after we visited just a little bit, I just said, Tars, we heard you got some bad news. And, and I appreciated this, and he's in really good spirits, and I believe Jesse will, tell, will agree with me. He said, you know, I'm not hurting, I'm in no pain. And I said, praise God, because most people in this spot, in these places like this, they're in pain. His spirit was good, he wasn't hurting. But he began to tell me about his liver being blocked, and they couldn't get a stent in. He said, they don't know what they're going to do, we're waiting for a radiologist, whatever. And so I just simply, in whatever words I may have used, well, they don't have the final say. You know, God, if He chooses to, you can walk out of here. But here's the deal. If this don't get you, something will. Remember when COVID first come around, my first sermon I ever preached here? Didn't know much about COVID. I'm not sure how much we know about it now. But the first sermon I ever preached is I said, don't get scared. If COVID don't get you, something will. And I'm going to stick to that same message that I preached when we first heard of COVID. If COVID don't get you, if cancer don't get you, if a car wreck don't get you, if a heart attack get, don't get you, if your wife don't get you, something will. What I'm trying to tell you is you're going to die. And that's just simply what made known to TARS, whether it's this or something else. And I said, I just need to know where you're going to spend eternity. That's why we come. And he said, yeah, I've got that settled. And Jesse, after we left there, we both agreed. We didn't like that answer. We didn't think it was clear enough. So we talked a little bit more, and I just looked at Tars, and I said, can you tell me when that happened? And that's when I think I got sured up that he had trusted Jesus because he looked at his wife, which was to my left. And big old tears welled up, and they looked at each other, and they said, just recently, about the same time. Now, I'm under the point of he's the seeking one. And I thought about myself when I left there. Now, I run from him. I hid my face from him for 30 years. That was me. And I sure am thankful that he never quit seeking. He never got sidetracked. He kept looking for the hider. And one Tuesday morning in an old Mack truck, he found me. But then I began to think about in my study this morning. Old Tars has got to be 60. That means he's hid twice as long as I did. That's what that means. 30 times 2 is 60. And it doesn't matter if you hide for 60 years like Tars did. Guess what? God never got distracted. And His Holy Spirit is still seeking those that are hiding their faces from Him. Why? That He might forgive them and save them. He left His home in heaven 
that heaven might be our home. I love that, Addie. So let me just tell you how sweet and wonderful the love of Jesus is. I am headed. I had to take all my my hay twines and all that, and my salt and mineral bags. It was piled up that high in the passenger seat because I didn't want to scatter it from Telequot to Tulsa. And I'm in my old second gen Dodge, and I'm trying to get to Hillcrest. And right before, right after I get out of Inola, right before I get to the Port Bridge, I see a sign: pecans. Boy, I kind of rare up. And right behind that sign that said pecans, there's another sign that said honey. And it's one thing to have pecans, but it's another thing to have honey with them. And then another sign said pecans. And then that other sign said honey. They done doubled up on the pecan signs and then doubled up on the honey signs. And so I began to slow down. Then I began to look at that clock and thinking, it's 10 after 11. I'm supposed to be in there at 11.15. And I was so torn between that lost soul and those pecans. I went on past them pecans and honey. And before I got to that port bridge, I just offered a very good prayer. I said, Lord, if you see it fit for me to live through this visit, hopefully get confirmation or win a soul to Jesus. And if you see it fit for me to get out of that Tulsa traffic, and if you see it fit for me to get back across that Catoosa Bridge under that construction where somebody's going to get killed if they don't hurry up and get it back, and if you see it fit for me to get back, Lord, would you grant me the opportunity to stop and get some of them pecans and some of that honey? See, Lord, the church members, they ain't producing like they once did. They used to bring me pecans. You're out. Drought. And you know what the Lord done? I prayed that prayer. We got confirmation on Tars and his wife. Say, and I got out of Tulsa. I got across the bridge. And there it was. Pecans. There it was. Honey. And man, I began to get excited. And there it was again, pecans. And there it was again, honey, and I'm done gearing down. And I done pulled in. And I get out, and this guy's got over 500 pounds of pecans. And he's got 50 gallon of honey. Honey. And I get out there, and I'm just looking at it. And I said, there's the light, honey. He said, that's clover. That's what, they, that's what they pollinate in the spring. I said, and there's the dark honey. He said, that's where they pollinate on all the stuff. All the, if you really want to stand against the allergies, you, the dark honey. And I grabbed the biggest one he had. He didn't, it, was, it wasn't a gallon, but it was the biggest one he had. And I grabbed it and I set it there. And then I look at the pecans. There was the desirable. There was this brand and that brand. And I was so disappointed because all of them was so big. And I said, and I want some pecans. He said, the desirable. They're the most sought-after pecan in the United States right now. And he pointed to this one. And I said, but. He said, what? I said, where's those little natives? I don't give a flip about those big things. 
And he big old grin on his face, and he reached over, and he pulled a four-pound bag of natives out. And I got this big old deal of dark honey. I got four-plus pounds of natives. And I'm setting them there, and I can't wait to get in my vehicle, which is just right there. What's good about this is it's on, I mean, no parking, no, no, no parking lot rage. Just pull in right there, get out, and he's right there. And I said, how much will that be? She may have been there. He said, that'll be $100. And here's what flashed through my mind. Craig Pierce, J&E feed, he stopped to get some coveralls. When he put them on the counter and they told him the price, he liked to die. And he looked at the cashier and said, I'm gonna, I forgot my billfold. I'm going to go to the truck and get it. And my cousin Craig Pierce went to his vehicle, jumped in it, and left. And left the high-priced <laughs> coveralls on the counter at J&E feeds. And so that flashed through my mind. And I thought, I'm going to tell him I forgot my billfold in the truck. The truck was right there. And then I just began to say, Lord, you let me stop. Oh, that honey. Oh, those pecans. It's a heck of a deal because they're worth 200 I'm going to get them at half price. See, you can justify anything. If that stuff wasn't worth $200, there's not a cow in Texas. So I figure I got a half price deal. I just pulled out a smooth $100 bill and throwed it on there. And I was crying inside. And all I could think of is me and my wife had had a terrible dispute over peanut butter earlier in the week. She come in with always say peanut butter. Always save works a lot of things, but it don't work with peanut butter, folks. It's dry. She's telling me how much cheaper it was. I said, it's higher because I'm not touching it. So we've had this big discrepancy. And so I went, I went and bought my own jar of Peter Pan. And I come carrying it in. She just happened to have the flu. And, and so it didn't matter to me. And I put a scoop of that always save on a plate. And I put a scoop of that Peter Pan. Walked over and said, you tell me if there's a difference. Come on. I can't eat them. I'm sick. I said, uh-uh. You told me there's no difference, and I'm trying to... So anyway, she said, I cannot eat that, honey. So anyway, I let that go. And all I could think of is when I walk in with this $50 jar of honey and $50 bag of pecans, she's absolutely going to try to kill me. And I was just thinking, if she wouldn't have bought the always say peanut butter, this wouldn't have been quite as bad. I mean, she done went and wasted 4 or $5 on that. So, I mean, I'm trying to block all this out of my mind. So when I get in the truck, let me tell you what I do. I can't wait. And I'm a honey. I, it don't matter where I'm at in the United States. I want honey from that place. I want to taste the difference. I'm just, I'm just all caught up in that stuff. And so when I get in the truck, I can't wait. I, I've never tasted $50 honey. And, and I, I'm thinking, I can't wait. And so right there, I take the lid off. I peel that little... Cardboard, and I mean, I got a jar of honey like this. And I'm going to tell you, have you ever seen my granddaughter T.L. suck her thumb? I mean, she, and I mean, you'll look at her and she'll switch them. I'm going to tell you, I pictured her sucking that thumb. And I thought, it ain't no good, but if I could ever get some honey on mine, I'd suck it. So I just, right there, sitting beside the deal, I just, I just doused my index finger with that honey. I mean, just, okay. 
And I've tasted honey all over the United States. Let me tell you about my $50 jar of honey. And I'm not just saying this because it costs $50. That's the best honey I've ever tasted in my life. I had to drop by the Amish where I'm running some cattle and he spotted my pecans and tried to get in them. <laughs> I said, now you get in them pecans, I'll have to kill you. And I said, I'd give you one. but it, I mean, I, I tell you what, if you want a handful, it costs you 40 bucks. But I explained to him, I don't know about the pecans, but I'm telling you, that honey right there is good stuff. Now, look here. And then I began as I drove down the road. Now, listen to me. I said all that for a reason. I got to thinking, that's the best honey I've eaten. And I just kept, all the way home, I just keep putting it on my finger. I just keep. And all of a sudden, I began to think about that song. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey. And I looked at that jar of honey and I thought, 50 bucks. But boy, it's good. And then the Holy Spirit got all over me and those tears began to flow. His forgiveness, His love. It's like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. And look here. You think honey's high. Well, you think it cost him to forgive you. Not 50 bucks. Not 100 bucks. Because you wasn't redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. You was redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. The only way he can forgive you is he paid for the right to. And he paid it with his blood. No wonder the songwriter says his forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. And all God's people ought to be saying, somebody ought to write this down. Somebody ought to take a little note. Oh, yeah, they did. And it speaks of the wonderful wonderful love of Jesus. Look here and listen to me. All I could think of is when he told me that was a hundred, and this wasn't a point in the sermon, but I thought about it, and I've added it to early, mid, and now. All I could think of is when he told me that was a hundred dollars, and I thought about running and hiding. I thought, I guess I'm just going to pay him, and I'm going to enjoy it best I can. And I looked at him and I said, man, I paid a lot for that honey, surely enough for you to listen to something. I said, see, I come by here on the way to Tulsa a while ago, simply going to see a man about his salvation, either to lead him in it or confirm he had it. And he confirmed he had it. And I said, I couldn't wait to get back by here because I love pecans and I love honey. And I said, can you tell me your name one more time? He said, Bob McDonald. And I said, well, Bob, where do you stand with Jesus? Well, Bob began to weep. Well, Bob began to cry. He said, I love Jesus. I've trusted Him. He said, a week ago today, the reason for the tears, a week ago today we buried my sweet mother-in-law. Let me tell you about the wonderful love of Jesus. 
It don't only tell us about the sent one, the sacrificed one, and the seeking one. Oh, Bob said, I don't know how people make it without Jesus when somebody near and dear to their heart dies. Let me tell you what the note tells us about the love of Jesus. He's the sustaining one. When you need sustained through some of the toughest stuff that you're going to go through here, let me tell you, the love of Jesus is wonderful because it's the love of Jesus that's going to see you through the toughest of times. I'm like old Bob McDonald. I don't know how anybody makes it that don't have the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful love of Jesus. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you come today, maybe you come hiding. Maybe you come lost. But the good news is the seeker, he's not distracted. And he's seeking to forgive and save you right there where you're at. He won't force himself on nobody. But if he's seeking you and he's called your name, he's simply calling you to salvation and forgiveness. And I promise you, it'll be sweeter than honey to your soul. If you're here today and you need to be saved, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Today's the day you want to be saved. Anybody? Bless you, brother. Anybody else? And look here and listen. And a young man that raised his hand. And sometimes we extend an altar call and we ask him to come forward, but I want you to look at me. I think Christians ought to be leading the way. I wasn't here during the praise and worship. Okay? I'm sure it was great, but I'm sure it's like every other time we miserably failed at it. Some of you are saying, What? Let me share this story, and you do what? You're going to get a second chance to praise Him this morning. Two weeks ago, on a Sunday morning, I was headed back from Lettahatchee, Alabama. The week before that, I went to Burlington, Colorado. It's a long ways from Burlington back to Lettahatchee, and it's a long ways from Lettahatchee back home. I passed a lot of road signs, and as far as I know, all of them was true. But two weeks ago, Sunday morning, I passed one in Tupelo, Mississippi that had a lie on it. You know what it said? Tupelo, Mississippi. Birthplace of the King. Didn't have birthplace of Elvis Presley. It had birthplace of the King. And I just chuckled in that old yellow truck and I said, that sign ain't right. Tupelo, Mississippi ain't the birthplace of the King. Bethlehem, Judea is, Lord. They've done went and put a false sign down here. See, the only place that can have birthplace of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is Bethlehem, Judea. Because that's where the King was born. I really thought I'd preach something on that, but here it is. Here's where I'm using it. I passed that two weeks ago. And I thought, man, I've passed a lot of road signs, but that one right there is wrong. The birthplace of the kings, Bethlehem, Judea. Well, then last night I was headed home and it was dark. And that song was on the radio and I don't know the name of it. And I told both services, aren't you glad this preacher can't remember songs and can't sing? We'd never get out of here. I'd just preach a while and sing a while and 
refer to a song a while. I don't know how Dave don't do it. But I was headed home and it talks about, and I don't know the name of the song, but here's the gist of it. I'm bringing you my praise. I'm bringing you my worship. Now listen to this. It's the only gift I have that's fit for a king. In that song, it says, I'm bringing you my praise. I'm bringing you my worship. And it says, it's the only gift I have that's fit for a king. Let me tell you what you've got to offer God. You ready? Nothing. Just like I don't have nothing to offer Him. We don't have anything that we can give Him as a gift that's fit for a king minus our praise. Now, maybe you'll better understand what I said. I wasn't here during praise, but we may have miserably failed. Let me just spell it out in case you're not picking up what I'm putting down. Was your praise at the beginning of this service, was it fit for a king? If I put it like that, maybe you'll see, maybe you failed in your praise. Was your praise, that's my question to you, at the beginning of this service, was it fit for the king that was born in Bethlehem, Judea? Aren't you glad He's a God of second chances and fresh starts? He'll let us offer that praise as a gift again. And this the invitation... Why don't you bring Him some praise and worship to these altars? It's the only thing that you've got that's fit for a king. Your praise and your worship. Altars are open.